0: Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club.
1: Welcome to the Commonwealth Club. I'm George Hammond, chair of the Humanities Forum, which organized today's event. And it's uh, my great pleasure to welcome back to the Commonwealth Club. He's come many times. Uh, uh, This time, I'm a little bit curious, though. uh, You'll have to perform by location because you have to stay at home and and come to the Commonwealth Club at the same time. Uh, So uh, today we're having Swami Ananda back, uh, the cosmic comic that Marianne Williamson once called the Mark Twain of our times. And uh, Swami agrees. He says that he and Mark are, are following on the same Twain tracks, the laugh twack, um, and that that is going to be our future. By the way, uh, Swami is the kind of guru who does not expect his followers to follow without question. So at the end of our uh, conversation, we'll take questions and uh, and he'll have answers for you, uh, whether the, the questions are questionable or not. So. Swami, uh, first of all, welcome back. You're one of the biggest names in 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 comedy, uh, mainly because Beyond Ananda has twelve letters in it. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing about the COVID nineteen crisis, because that's really kind of got us all uh, tied up.
0: Well, it has certainly got our attention. I have to say one thing: if you've been uh, uh, in closed quarters with loved ones for the last nine months, and your loved ones are still liked ones, you're in good shape. That is very good. (laughs) Now, I think every situation, or uh, we have to take advantage of every situation. So when I heard social distancing, I went, great. I'm going to take social distancing to the max. So I've been putting off my intergalactic trip. And so (laughs) if you want to, you can do social distancing. You may as well go to distance. I actually journeyed to the center of the Milky Way. And you'll never guess what I found at the center of the Milky Way. Chewy nougat. Chewy <laughs> nougat. I now you're thinking, well, no, that's three musketeers. And I can hear the snickers. But no, chewy nougat was there. When I returned, I found that the most best thing that we can do in these situations is no matter what is happening, to be positive. I have a new program called Just Say No to Negativity. So you have to be positive. And so when I hear people... Talking about being locked down, I go no. That is a downer. We have to have a more upbeat way of looking at it. So I don't feel like we are locked down. We are being locked up. Doesn't that that feel a lot (laughs) better? And we're all taking advantage of that amazing space because we have been so inundated with information in this information age that we have information overload, and thought particles tend to get caught between the ears creating a condition called truth decay. (laughs) Four out of five transcendentists recommend mental floss for clearing the mind and preventing truth decay. So one of the great things that's happening is that we have an opportunity to spend more time at home, more time cultivating the inner, mm, the inner. And that is very, very important. So we have to take advantage, take full advantage of the times that we're in. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, do you have any um, advice to to your followers and, and, and possible followers about how to stay healthy and sane in this circumstance?
0: Well, I have to tell you something. First of all, um, my advice to anybody who is considering taking my advice is... <laughs> <laughs> you have a problem already if you're taking my advice. I'm wearing bullwinkle around my neck. I don't know if you can see that. So... <laughs> So, actually, one of the, one of the great ways of say of staying sane and peaceful during these times is to practice breathing, mindful breathing. I've, I've been involved with mindfulness, and this is really, as I was saying, the information age has us all suffering from mindfulness. <laughs> so, what we want to do is we want to clear the mind through mindfulness. So what that means is I, I went to a silent retreat for a whole week. And I have to tell you, it was so quiet, you could hear an opinion drop. Very, very, <laughs> quiet. very quiet. And I learned from a great mindfulness teacher the secrets of being mindful and peaceful. First of all, if you want to be mindful and peaceful, you have to, first of all, clear your mind of all thoughts. Secondly, you have to focus on the center of yourself. And I did this, and I'm happy to report it worked. I am now thoughtless and self-centered.
1: <laughs> that, you've achieved the, the, the goal of um, narcissistic nirvana.
0: That is That's exactly right. Well, you know, we are living in the most narcissistic uh, narcissistic time uh, uh, of human history, where everybody thinks it's about themselves, and and it's true. I mean, this is the paradox of existence. We are all one with the same one. And yet <laughs> each of us is totally unique, just like everybody else. <laughs> each of us is given a special gift just for entering, so you are already a winner. And as Oscar Wilde said, be yourself. Everybody else is taken. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, we just had a, a really outrageous and polarizing election, and and some people are very happy that it's over. Some, I mean, a lot of people are happy it's over. Uh, some people are happy with the outcome. Some people are very unhappy with the outcome. Is there any advice that you can give to those groups about the polarizing election?
0: Well, first of all, it is true. We have a deeply divided body politic. Half the people believe our system is broken. The other half believe it's fixed. Hmm. <laughs> And we've been divided into two tribes, the red tribe Republicans and blue tribe Democrats who spent all of their energy arguing about whether it is worse to kill the born or the unborn. Meanwhile, the commonwealth has been stolen by a very, very, very small percentage of the uncommonly wealthy. And so what we have to do is To overgrow this, the new word, situation, to overgrow that situation, Uh we have to bring left and right, front and center to face the music and dance together, to turn the funk into a function and leave the junk at the junction. We need to bring red tribe and blue tribe together to sit in sacred circle, just like the native peoples sat in sacred circle. And it is true equality because if you're sitting in a circle, everybody is equidistant, from the center, everybody is equal. So we need to bring red tribe and blue tribe together to sit in sacred circle and talk until they are purple in the face. <laughs> because only by being together as one purple people, will the peeps outnumber the perps. Hmm? We have a great opportunity. Right now we, we have been through a very contentious election. And you know, um, Things have been so uh, stressful on this planet over the past bunch of years that people have been talking about the end times. The end times, right? In fact, I met somebody who was actually disappointed and depressed because the rapture didn't happen a few years ago. <laughs> he said, Come on, cheer up. So the rapture didn't happen. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> But I, because so many people were talking about this, I had to go to the book of Revelations to see what it said about these end times. And you won't believe what it said. A sign that the last days are near. It says, and the last Trump shall blow. <laughs> now, many of your viewers are saying, well, we know that Trump blows. We know that. But you'll have to, I have to tell you something. First of all, this was a great transition, an evolutionary transition in our history. Because I look at him as America's balloon karma payment. And now that we have made this payment, I am very grateful to the man. You will never hear me say anything negative about him, Because behind every soulless heal, there is an unhealed soul. So for all of you healers and light workers out there, your work is not just to heal souls, but to re heals. Hmm? <laughs> I have a new program for doing that. I call it From A-Hole to be hole <laughs> And in these times where many people were thinking right before the election, if my candidate doesn't win, it's the end of the world. Well, I have to say that it is the beginning of the world. It is the beginning of a new world where we recognize we need to leave the five thousand years of history of low, living by lowest common dominator right that's how we've lived where where the golden rule is overruled by the rule of gold which is do do unto others before they can do do unto you which of course has left us our species with a lot of residue to clean up hmm? And the question right now for humanity in this evolutionary moment, this existential crisis, as we're deciding if we want to exist any longer, the question is: uh, Can we undo the doo doo that has been done, or will the undo, will, will the, uh, will the done doo doo be our undoing? Hmm? That is the question. <laughs> and so this is a time where we do actually have to leave the safety of our tribes and our narratives and begin a rehumanizing conversation. You know, in spite of the fact that we have such polarization going on, in spite of all of that, 75% of people in this country want to actually work together to solve problems instead of fighting one another. So in this next four year period, what we're going to see is we're going to be getting off the battlefield of dueling dualities and onto the playing field where the two sides become dynamic duo dance partners and we're able to actually begin to use our two political persuasions, conservative and progressive, in a constructive way. We will be asking the questions, how do we want to progress? And what do we want to conserve? And that is the generating conversation where we move ahead together. Hmm? Well
1: I'm wondering. That sounds like a great prescription for uh, a nicer future, a kinder, gentler future. Um, but I'm wondering whether people would be afraid, because at least from our generation, um, because you said that uh, when the red and the blue sides come together, they'll create purple, uh, a purple people. But there's a purple people eater, um, and, and people might be afraid that he'll come uh, if that happens. So,
0: well, we've thought of that too. The way to thwart the purple people eater is to have bad taste. <laughs> we
1: have plenty of bad taste we have
0: a lot of that so we're we're safe we're safe from the purple people theater but that's a good question
1: so um social media it's an (laughs) social media is another another big problem that's going on do you think that this is good for us the social media or do you think that it's bad or 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 is it you know a little bit absolutely
0: absolutely i think it's good for us and i think it is bad for us Mm -hmm. And depending on how we use it, that is the the difference. If we use it to accept these toxic, top-down narratives that create fear and separation, well, then that's not very helpful. Because in this electoral season, fear gnomes, little gnomes of gnawing fear were released into the mainstream, uh, creating this great sense of fear and anger of the other, of each of the people on the other side. Now, Facebook has changed the world. It has changed the world. And whether we like it or not, it's changed the world. You know, imagine if the Beatles were just getting started in Facebook time, at the beginning of Facebook. Think of all the songs they would be writing. She likes you, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) All you need is like, da-da-da-da-da, all you need is like. Um, like, like me do, You see all of the liking. And of course, my favorite is likely Rita, meet her mate. <laughs> so I think that as people begin to rebalance and pull their faces out of Facebook, we're coming to recognize <laughs> that more important than being liked is being loved and loving in return. And as we begin to use the social media, instead of taking these top down narratives that are based on fear, We broadcast, ground up, bubbled up from the ground up, bottom up narratives of love and connection. And we use the social media to become this very well-connected global village where we are actually creating a grassroots new word upwising to overgrow the current system.
1: I was going to ask you about that. You're you're spearheading a a social movement or a, a... Another great upheaval for the whole society, as if you're cleansing the entire planet. And you call it the Great Upwise, and you, wanna, you want to explain that? that, uh, yeah, that, that
0: that's a, a One little modification. I don't use the word spearheading anymore because it's too warlike. I prefer the circular sphereheading. So I am sphereheading. All of these other rounded heads out there, uh, this movement called the Evolutionary Upwise. Now, in the old days, when people were dissatisfied, They would rise up, there'd be be a revolutionary uprising to overthrow. No, this is an evolutionary uprising, where we wake up, wise up, grow up, and show up. This is a four-step program, which is guaranteed mathematically to work three times faster than Hmm? (laughs) two-step. Okay, so we wake up to the illusion of separation that we have been hoodwinked, the two political sides have been hoodwinked by a bunch of winking hoods to divide us and conquer us. We wise up to the power of love and unity. The, The antidote for divide and conquer is unite and prevail. We grow up from children of God to adults of good, and we show up on this new playing field, ready to play a new game, which is the world game, as opposed to the end of the world game, where we recognize that we are all cells in the same body, we need to bring all good intentions under one big intent, thrival, new word, thrival for each and all. That is the upwise. And as more people recognize that we really are all cells in the same body, we begin to look at so many things that we've been doing collectively as autoimmune disease. War is autoimmune disease, right? We have healthy cells fighting other healthy cells. Um, Forms of toxic competition, that is autoimmune. Hmm? Now, competition, interestingly, interestingly, in the original Greek terminology, competition meant to strive together. So it wasn't about those, those Olympic athletes. They were competing, but they weren't competing to beat somebody else. They were competing to do their own personal best, and have everybody else as kind of their, their pace cars. So in the future, a family and country that thrives together, thrives together. We will more than survive, we will thrive. And so that is the whole idea of recognizing that what would the world be like if we had all of the energy that we've been spending fighting one another available for creating the world that we know is possible? Now, I know a lot of people are saying that sounds very idealistic and very utopian. But Bucky Fuller, one of my great heroes, wrote a book called Utopia or Oblivion. And so if I'm given that choice, I'm going to go for Utopia.
1: <laughs> well, if you're um, if you have this plan for the future and to work on the future and that we can all work on creating a better civilization, how does that kind of go against or 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 with be here now, which a lot of people hear Swamis say, you know, be here now. What's the present? You stay right, you here.
0: Know, that is one of the biggest challenges. The biggest challenge is to be here now because by the time you go, wait a minute, I think I'm being here now, it's already then. <laughs> but I predict that living in the now will be the wave of the future. <laughs> time itself will become a thing of the past. But it's already happening. The calendar's days are numbered. Hmm? I know this because I was a futurist in a past life. Although now I spend all of my time in the timeless now. I think they call that all (laughs) timers. So so we're always, we cannot help but being in the now no matter where we are, right? And so it's important to use every now. To bring more love, more light, more joy, and more laughter to our world, because it beats the alternative. <laughs> well, why don't you
1: talk a little bit more about that? Laughter. You know, there, there's been a few studies that say laughter really helps. It helps you heal after, you know, after illnesses and so on and so forth. So, um, obviously, you, you use laughter for the same purpose. So what, why do you think that laughter does that for us?
0: Well, first of all, I want to go back to the actual book that was written called Anatomy of an Illness. Now, Norman Cousins was a writer back in the 1970s. He was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness that was so serious that I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> and it was, he was basically given a death sentence. And instead of going to the hospital, he checked into a hotel room with Marx Brothers movies and candid camera reruns. And got well, and he got well, and when he healed himself, the medical establishment decided that they are going to study the healing power of laughter, which is kind of like, well, it works in practice, but does it work in theory? <laughs> and when they studied the physiology of laughter, they discovered that when we laugh, the body secretes these hormones called endorphins, which are our natural painkillers. Laughing is also known to improve immune function. Laughter lowers the blood pressure because when we laugh, it causes our blood vessels to dilate. Better than having them die early. (laughs) I want mine to dilate. And now we just found out that laughing actually burns calories. So I have a new program. It is called Laugh Your Ass Off. Very popular. (laughs) You can lose weight and lose weightiness. (laughs) Oh, no. When you're getting well, I can see you're laughing. That is a good sign. (laughs) People don't take laughter seriously. I'm telling you. But but there was a study, a scientific study done uh, back in the 1980s. They took a group of college students, put them in a room with hilarious comedy videos, took a control group, another group of students, put them in a different room, made the other group memorize Croatian parables and gave them an electric shock every time they made a mistake, the results were conclusive. The ones watching the comedy had more fun.
1: <laughs> and how much money was spent on that?
0: Well, w- well, I-, I think they said that, that it was inconclusive and more studies were needed. I think
1: they said that. <laughs> Well, let's get a little personal now that you've laid out your agenda. Let's get a little personal about your life, if you don't mind. Um, oh. You know, you've been on a Journey for a long time on a spiritual path for a long, long time. Oh, you no, know, yeah. can you explain? You know how you stayed on the path, or have you, you know, or, or you don't have to confess, but have you wandered off the path? What, what what what's your path been
0: like? Well, you know, somebody once asked me, because people are very restrictive about being on the path, you know, somebody once asked me, Swami, uh, what are your feelings about having sex while on the path? And Swami says, No, 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 no sex on the path. You want to have sex, go behind the bushes, but not on the path. Yeah. Spare the rest of us. But in my, I've, I've, I, do you believe in reincarnation, by the way? I'm just curious. Me? Yeah. Uh, belief, I, I, I just. Uh, eh, don't know. worry about it. You will in your next lifetime. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> but actually I have, uh, I can, uh, I do. And I've, uh, I've been, been doing this for many, 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 many lifetimes. Because uh-huh. we've had a lot to laugh about over the centuries. And if I had to characterize my spiritual path, I would call it fundamentalism
1: with the <laughs> accent
0: on the fun. Not to be confused with fundamentalism with the accent on the mental. Hmm? The fundamentalists say heaven is above us. Heaven is above us. The fundamentalists say heaven is where we make it. So why don't we go for heaven on earth just for the hell of it? <laughs> Because we are not here to earn God's love. We're here to spend it. (laughs) We call this supply-side spirituality. And the challenge, of course, is be more supplying, less demanding. Hmm? As a fundamentalist, I believe that life is a joke. But God is laughing with us, not at us. The creator is watching the comedy channel. We're what's on. (laughs) <laughs> and we have been given free choice in life, we get to decide whether or not we laugh. So, if you want to be miserable, go right ahead, whatever makes you happy. <laughs> but I say, behind every uh, all of the distress and stress and sadness in life, there's a deep well of joy, and every time we let laughter bubble up out of that deep well, we experience. Deep wellness. But sometimes we forget to laugh, right? <laughs> have, you, have you ever gone a day without laughing?
1: No. Good. Okay, because
0: a day without laughing, that is called irregular hilarity. <laughs> and what will help is a good laxative every day. good laughative to get the laugh force moving. Hmm? Uh, if if I, I take it that there may be some people out there who have actually gone a week without laughing. In that case, you may be suffering from hemorrhoids. No, hemorrhoids. That is an enlargement of the onus. Where you feel so much responsibility, the only thing you're ever able to pass is heavy judgment. <laughs> so, one of the, my missions on the planet is to activate what is called the human gestive system. The human gestive system to process the material of the material world and turn it into laughter. Now, when we laugh, something very interesting happens. There is often an insight that comes in the wake of the laughter. There's the ha ha, then there's an aha, and then there's an ah as we <laughs> leave the static of the head for the ecstatic of the heart. This is very, very important because laughter, hearty laughter, puts us in our heart and takes dueling duality separation from the mind and blows it apart. Have you ever wondered why jokes come in three? A minister, a priest, and a rabbi. Hmm? Okay. A minister, a priest, and a rabbi are discussing their legacy. How do they want to be remembered? What do they want the eulogist to be saying at their funeral? Well, the minister thinks, he says, well, I want them to be saying he was a family man and a pillar of his community. The priest said, I want them to be saying he was a holy man and a leader of his flock. The rabbi says, I want them to be saying, look, I think he's breathing. (laughs) so the purpose of humor is to disrupt the ordinary way of thinking in the joke of threes number one sets up the premise number two reinforces the premise and number three upsets the premise and shows a creative third way and we laugh because we're surprised and delighted and our mind has been playfully tricked
1: (laughs) Well, you you said about the aha moment. I had one of those aha moments uh, when you were talking a little while ago. Uh, you mentioned the, you know that that uh, God is watching the Comedy Channel and it's us. It made me uh, you know feel a lot better because I've always wondered how unhappy He must be. But He must, if if the Norman Cousins uh, experiment is accurate, He must be one of the happiest guys around.
0: Well, you know, I, I think that really one of the things we have to recognize is. Um, what, what, what I call cosmic comic consciousness, where you're able to use levity to rise above the gravity of the situation and see from a higher viewpoint. And if you look from that higher viewpoint, you see what silly geese we are. What we have, we have created for ourselves the illusion of separation, of being separated from our creator, from being separated from ourselves, from being separated from the web of life, uh, and being separated from other individuals, and we've created this crazy game, the me or you game, when the real truth in life is that everything is everything is is related. We're all connected. We're all connected. Uh, I'm one. I'm one, and you're one too. The universe has us surrounded. We <laughs> I mean, might as well surrender and surrender <laughs> to the higher power of love. Because love is more powerful than fear. Otherwise, we'd be singing, all you need is fear. (laughs) He fears you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, we're not singing that. So the very, very important news is that every moment we have a choice. Do we we feed love or do we feed fear? We may not have it. People ask me, Swami, do we create our own reality? Actually, we used to, but now it's mostly made in China. And so are the machines that have taken our jobs. Um, But anyway, but, but actually what happens is we may not be able to choose what happens to us, but we are able to choose how we respond to it. And our seeing makes all the difference, like the letter C. We can be reactive or we can be creative. All the same letters, just shuffle them around. We have to take the seeing from being in the middle and put it right at the beginning so we can see how instead of reacting, we can be creative in, in a new situation. So this is really the evolution that we're, that we're talking about. It is a spiritual and psychological evolution where we actually grow up to be the, the, to be what we are capable of doing, be all that we can be without necessarily joining the army. You can join the army. <laughs> but we can be all that we can be, no matter what. And we we really think that the the purpose of our of our living here on the planet is to let our shine our light shine as completely and fully as possible. The enlightened ones call this fulfillment. Fulfillment, <laughs> shining, and that is our job. Because when we are able to shine our light brightly, we brighten up everybody else. Yeah, People have asked me, Swami, how can I uplift humanity? And you look at their faces, their face like this. (laughs) I say, okay, well, I'll give you a hint. First of all, begin by uplifting your own face. (laughs) This is called the levitational pose that pulls up at the corners of the mouth into a smile. What's very interesting about that is when you do this, no matter how you're feeling, you're feeling lousy, just do this. When you move your muscles that way, it changes the body chemistry so that your body thinks that you're happy and happiness chemicals circulate all around the body. Isn't that interesting? And we live in a society where we are told that we are to pursue happiness. And you look at some of these people who have been pursuing happiness, you go, wow, they must have run right past it. (laughs) So instead of pursuing happiness, have happiness be something that radiates out from you, and your friends will be very, very happy, and your enemies will go, wow, what's gotten into him?
1: (laughs) Well, you talked about cosmic, comic consciousness. Uh, Are you implying that you personally are enlightened? Uh, That's maybe a, a, a question too far, but are you enlightened?
0: Well, you know what, I, I think that uh, enlightening can strike anybody, and you cannot, <laughs> no, you cannot tell externally whether you're enlightened, because when you, when you actually see things from a lighter and brighter point of view, every time you laugh, that is a moment of enlightenment, because you've released the seriousness, you've released the mental processes in your mind that create worry and division, all of a sudden those have exploded, and all you have is this pure joy, like an innocent child, hmm? so one of the things that I, that that happens, um, you know, through this what I would call cosmic comic consciousness is that because you are are, are ele- elevated to a higher perspective, you don't get pulled down into the battlefield. You don't get pulled down into these this or that that never solves any problems, and you're able to look at things from a bigger perspective. Einstein said, "A problem cannot be solved at the same level that created it, and when we elevate ourselves through the process of levity, then we can see then we can see things from a better uh, a more comprehensive standpoint. We can comprehend it better, and we start to recognize that um, we have the opportunity to bring love to almost anything. That is a choice that we have. Yeah. And again, what is the secret of happiness? I I'll tell you about the happiest man I ever met. Happiest man I ever met. He was, turns out he was a psychiatrist and you look at this man and he was glowing. His face was glowing. And I said, wow, he's, and he was not a young man. I said, "Uh, you're a psychiatrist, right? He says, that's right. And I said, and you've been practicing for what? 25 years. He says, yes. I said, tell me something. How can you spend 25 years listening to people's problems and look the way you do? He said, huh, who listens? <laughs> <laughs> of all of those people who think that being peaceful, take a vow of silence. Well, that would help the people around you. Take a vow of not listening. That would make <laughs> you more peaceful. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, one thing that might be helpful, uh, Swami, you know, of bringing these uh, deep ideas out um, is that people are having a, a slightly different experience in the 20th and 21st centuries than the past because of modern medicine. There's a lot more people who are dying and then coming back again because of modern medicine. And so we have these near death experiences
0: mm. and,
1: and and people are wondering, does that tell us anything or is it just some, you know, chemicals in the brain that are making a mistake or hallucinating uh, so I was wondering if you've ever had a near-death experience and what do you think of them?
0: Oh, I did, I did, and I'll tell you, it was out of this world. <laughs> no, actually, I, uh, as a young person, I worked at a cemetery, so I was near death quite a bit. <laughs> and I could feel this cold presence over my left shoulder. I realized it was the presence of death. I turned around very quickly, and the presence of death said, Do not be concerned. It is not your time. You have much to do. And that is when I figured out one of the keys to immortality. Procrastination. (laughs) I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. And, and so, uh, I, I actually, I think that I, I do think that, um, um, you know, there's a lot of this becoming younger. It's, uh, I figured out the key to the key to uh, living to 150. Would you like to know? In fact, I'm writing a new book called "How to Live to Be 150 and Never Look a Day Over 100." But uh, uh, the secret to living to 150 is so simple you won't believe it. Postpone your midlife crisis until you're 75. <laughs> I have to warn you that there's a lot of these uh, anti-aging products that are very dangerous. Uh, there was a product that was guaranteed to make you 20 years younger, FDA took it off the market. An 18 year old took it and disappeared. So, so in, terms of, in terms of these near death experiences, I think that really what, what we are recognizing is that in this materialist world, Um, you know, the dominant belief system is called scientific materialism. And that belief system believes that only the world of material is real. Only matter matters. And yet Einstein said the field is the sole governing agency over the particle. And so if we look at modern medicine, modern medicine that's done a great job in keeping us alive and maybe bringing us back after these Uh, near-death experiences, um, modern medicine um, tends to not recognize the entire big picture of life and death, and that there are energetic forces that are beyond physical medicine, you know, and through the practice like Qigong, and Tai Chi, and yoga, and meditation, and all of these other practices change the energetic field around us. And so what we're coming to realize is that life is more than just the physical. So that when we actually, um, when these people come back from near-death experiences, they go, why did you bring me back? I want to be over there where I can be totally expanded. But when they come back here, they have a sense of perspective that we don't have. Mm -hmm. Because when when you're inundated with fear from the very beginning, When you're inundated with fear of other people, dangers out there in the world, fear of getting this disease or that disease, it shuts down your creativity, puts you in your hindbrain. And I think we need to put the hindbrain in the back seat in this next period of time as we focus on the forebrain and expanding our creativity and our ability to vision and envision everything around us. That is what's so very, very powerful. So if we let go of the idea, that this physical life that we are experiencing is the only thing there is, and we allow ourselves to expand uh, into the invisible, we will find that, uh, I I know, people say, everything is being controlled by invisible forces. I'm sorry, I just can't see it. (laughs) But it doesn't matter if you're able to see it. Remember, you you were in fifth grade or sixth grade when the teacher did the experiment with magnet and iron filings poured some iron filings on a piece of paper, and they fell in some random pattern, then he or she put a magnet underneath, and lo and behold, the, the iron filings arranged themselves in the pattern of the magnet. Now, if you didn't understand that there was an invisible force called magnetism, you would go, wow, those iron filings were very intelligent, and they organized themselves very intelligently. It's only when you recognize that there is that invisible force that is governing them that you realize why they've put themselves in that pattern. And so there are many, many, many other forces that the new science, we call it new edge science, is beginning to uncover that has to do with recognizing these fields and using those fields rather than trying to move the physical particles around using the energetic field. To change things. Now, um, unfortunately, we live in a, in a, uh, in a system where um, uh, the power of the unchecked, unbalanced, and unmitigated power of money and the power of that money gives rules. And so we have a medical system that is based on patented medicine and products and procedures. In fact, even viruses, even coronaviruses are patented. Did you know that? So there are patents that there are companies, including the um, um, uh, the CEC, that own patents on particular um, medicines and also on viruses themselves. So when you have a system where uh, everybody is trying to make money by using their patented item, uh, the actual health of the people becomes secondary, tertiary, and last. And so natural remedies. Are not used, you know think of all of the money that is being sent spent on medication for let's say restless leg syndrome when there is a natural remedy that works just fine. We call it get a helper humping dog <laughs> that absolutely naturally works and you have companionship <laughs> by the way, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot prescribe that. <laughs> But maybe we don't need doctors. Maybe we need just a paradox. That's all.
1: Well, before we go to the questions, so a lot of questions are coming in. Um, I want one more thing. Since you, you, you talk about you know, trying to decrease fears, and, you, and then you talk about the invisible forces. So uh, sometimes when people uh, uh, unleash these ideas, people go right back to ghosts or extraterrestrials, aliens coming to the planet. What do, you, what do you have to say about, about that kind of
0: stuff? Well, you know, I think the biggest problem we are facing right now is extraterrestrials. We have way too many terrestrials. We don't need any extra. <laughs> that is the biggest problem we face. Um, but if we kind of recognize that um, if if these beings from other planets uh, are looking for intelligent life, so far we've been able to discourage them from coming here. <laughs>
1: You don't have it. We don't have nothing to worry about, huh?
0: Nothing to yeah. worry about until uh, yeah. we get started. Then we got a problem.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's go to the questions that the uh, audience is asking. Um, so the first one comes from uh, George Stefner. When practicing Kama Sutra Tantra, should we accept only higher spiritual enlightenment, or are more worldly accomplishments also acceptable?
0: Oh, that is very very simple. You know, people ask me about sex. I have to tell you something. I was celibate for 14 years, but when I turned 15, I said enough of that. <laughs> so everything in life can be a holy experience if we wholly and fully enjoy it without harming another individual. You know that that I one of my my um, one of the great visions that I have. I say, if you don't like the current programming, turn off your TV and television. So I will tell you my vision. I call it non-judgment day. And on non-judgment day, everybody will win a beauty contest. And on non-judgment day, all of the lawyers will disappear. Because our trials will be over. We won't need them. And on non-judgment day, we will stop judging ourselves and begin this process of self-acceptance. And when we do that, when we totally accept ourselves, there is no more resistance to life. We are who we are. We are who we are. And once we recognize that and let ourselves be whoever we are, that full being, we have really achieved true minority rights in this country because everybody ultimately has the right to be exactly who they are and be respected as an equal individual.
1: And, and the, you're going to take away all the fun of lying about ourselves.
0: <laughs> but, you know, that's really, you know, that's really interesting because so much energy. Think about how much energy is spent telling lies. Think about mm-hmm. that, how much energy. And, you know, again, everything that we experience out there is up for healing in the, in here. So um, we have just spent four years with with a president and. Um, Whose uh, greatest asset is his liability, ability to lie. (laughs) And and The great lesson in that is that he is when I the the moment that I knew that he would be elected. Was when he was in the debate with Hillary Clinton and he pointed to her and he said, that is how politicians talk. And so what he did was he liberated us from all of these nice lies, all of these nice lies that get covered up by a smiley face, and yet they happen all all underneath the the surface. Okay, Evan, all underneath the surface. When you bring all of these to consciousness, then we, the people, get to metabolize them. We get to recognize the parts of ourselves that need healing like that the times that we lie. So part of focusing our attention on some evil out there, uh, if you want to look at the opportunity, you want to use that opportunity to see how am I that way? How am I that way? Because this is a truly fractal evolution happening on every level, the individual level, the cellular level, the community level, and the worldwide level. If we want change out there, we want Outer peace, we have to cultivate our inner peace. And this is important. The inner peace is very, very important. If you want to be peaceful, you have to learn how to bless everything. It's a challenge. You're on the road. Driver cuts you off. You have to bless that driver. You have to say, bless you. Bless you too. (laughs) Don't bless yourself. I'm telling you, this absolutely works. I tried it the other day. The other driver actually gave me half of a peace sign.
1: (laughs) Half the way there. I felt peaceful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the questions is not a question, but a comment. You bring much-needed laughter to us all. Thank you. So here's another uh, question. Uh, Perhaps the end does bring a new beginning. Is that the work of Shiva to open the way again for
0: Brahma? Wow. For Obama. Not
1: we did Obama.
0: that. We already did Obama. I'm sorry. He had his chance. I, I wrote a song for Obama. Would you like to hear the song I wrote for Obama after he um, um, bailed out Wall Street instead of Main Street? Here's the song <laughs> that I wrote for him, channeling the late, great Richie Valens. <laughs> Obama, Obama. Obama, Obama, I had a hope, Obama was his name, he won the race, but hasn't changed the game, cause I love my world, Obama, where can you be, we need your chi, now that you've won, I feel so alone. You bailed out the banks while millions lost their home. Cause I love my world. Obama, where can you be? Okay, so I wrote that song in 2009. And I think (laughs) it's very, very important that we, uh, we sober up and get straight as a body politic. There's two drugs that we have been really getting off on. One is hopium. Hopium. (laughs) We smoked the hopium. And we hoped that something would change without the political system fundamentally changing from a pay-to-play system to a true people's uh, government of, by, and for the people where the government does our bidding and not the bidding of the highest bidder. Okay? So that was very, very important that we we recognized that we That we have that. The other drug that we have to get through, and I think right now um, the people who are fervently still believing that um, Donald Trump won the election and some miracle will happen, they are suffering, they've been taking another drug called deniatol, deniatol. So we need to be liberate ourselves from hopium and deniatol and the true opportunity In this time is to release our judgments of ourselves, release our judgments of other people, and be in the room as human beings with all of our flaws, with all of our abilities, and begin to, instead of focusing on the identity issues that have kept us separate, begin to bring together, bring ourselves together to focus on the identical issues that we all share. Clean air, clean water, clean food, and clean government. And that is what this great new beginning, this real reset, um, this you know, instead of the end of the world, the beginning of a new world where we actually uh become the people our dogs think we are. <laughs>
1: That's way too way too high a goal, uh Swami, is, right? but, but, but <laughs> um uh, one person mentioned that Karnak the Magnificent would be proud of you.
0: Oh, so. I'm, I'm proud of him too. I'm proud of yeah. him. Um, uh, by the way, uh, a, little, a little aside the, the, the original the Karnak um, routine was actually first done by Steve Allen and mm-hmm. was adopted from his Tonight Show. And uh, I heard um, Bill Dana, remember Bill Dana? My yeah. name was Amenas. He was uh, Steve Allen's top writer at that time, and he wrote the first question man joke. And I still remember it the first question man joke. Um, uh, and the answer you give the answer, and then Karnak would have to give the question, right? Mm-hmm. So the answer was chicken teriyaki. And the question was name the oldest living ex kamikaze pilot. <laughs> So, thank you for mentioning Karnak.
1: <laughs> well, we've had a repeat question here um, from George Steffner, because he said it, that it wasn't for Obama, it was for Brahma. Oh, that,
0: I'm sorry. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brahma. Oh. <laughs> read, read the whole. Read but the but whole George, cut I'm very again. glad I I'm done very done that, that didn't go right because. I'm going, what is it, Obama? Okay.
1: Um, it, it was more a serious thing, but, but like. You're saying that there'll be a new age. Me saying this this lousy stuff that's going on now might just be Shiva, the destroyer, getting ready for Brahma, the creator, to some create something oh, absolutely. new.
0: It's exactly right. And really, we are literally on the cusp of the age of Aquarius. And for some, this happening, actually this month, astrologers are telling us that the the age of Aquarius is really, now it's beginning. And years ago, people would say, where's the age of Aquarius? You know, four years ago, where's the age of Aquarius? I said, well, first, we must go through the age of nefarious. (laughs) When the goon moves into Lincoln's house, and stupider aligns with Mars. You know, we've had that. And so now we are actually, we've had the, Good golly, Miss Collie, if you know what I mean. We've had that disruption, and um, we are now ready to um, reap some of the benefits.
1: (laughs) Well, we have a question here that I'm just going to read because, well, it's from Jamie Kerr, and he says, Does the duck come down?
0: Uh, Well, only if you say the secret word. And the hate, fact don't, is don't, the don't, secret don't, word is a secret, so you'll never know <laughs> now I know I know you didn't like that question, Jamie, but I wasn't so crazy about that that answer but I wasn't so crazy about the question, so there we have it. For you <laughs>
1: <laughs> um the, another question could you explain why you wear bullwinkle around your neck
0: Oh absolutely uh uh this is my mouix uh anyway, <laughs> first of all. I believe this is my, my, my uh, spirit guide and power animal, because no matter what your problem is, if you channel Bullwinkle to tell people your problems, it sounds funnier. So let's say you lost your job and you have no money. Channel Bullwinkle. you just lost my job and they have no money. <laughs> that is funnier. What really wow. happened was I had a dream and Jesus came to me in a dream and told me to wear this. I said, why should I wear it? What does it mean? He said, it means, for Christ's sake, lighten up. <laughs> because the world is in serious condition, largely because of our conditioning to be serious. And so I take Bullwinkle very seriously. And in fact, um, I often have conversations with him. And I was very surprised to find that one of his secret desires, you know, because he he kind of, Came into reality, by the way, um, right here in the Bay Area, uh, at the Berkeley City Club, um, hmm? uh, Jay Ward, the creator of uh, of Bullwinkle, um, had a friend who had Volwinkle's uh, Ford dealership and used that variation of the name to create Bullwinkle. Ah. So he first came into existence in the late 1950s, and Bullwinkle always wanted to be a great rock star like Elvis. And so do I have your permission to channel Bullwinkle singing? Oh, this please song? do. Please do. Yes, or yes. Well, like okay. since my baby left me, I found a new place to dwell. It's down on the Lonely Street, it's Heartbreak Hotel. Where they be so lonely, where they be so lonely, where they be so lonely, they could die. <laughs> now, you may ah. have noticed, Bullwinkle was a big big Bob Dylan fan. So I know we're we're getting close to the end. I'm going to have to compress this. I'm going to channel Elvis and Bullwinkle at the same time. Do, uh, Elvis, I'm going to channel Bullwinkle, channeling Elvis and Dylan at the same time. How about that? <laughs>
1: Are you ready? I'm, I'm not sure that the airwaves can take this, but I'm really looking forward to it myself. Okay, Please. you're going right. like this.
0: Well, since my baby left me, I found a new place to dwell. It's down the near lonely street, heartbreak hotel. Where they be so lonely? Where they be so lonely? Where they be so lonely? They could die. (laughs) Bullwinkle has left my body. Okay, good.
1: All right, Swami, uh, when when did you first do that?
0: <laughs> oh, I've been doing it ever since Bullwinkle came to me and told me his problems. You uh-huh. know, Bull, Bullwinkle and Rocky had a big falling out. This was a very sad story. Uh, uh-huh. It happened when the Sylvester Stallone film came out and it was called Rocky. And Bullwinkle, let's face it, he was jealous. He said, Bullwinkle, Balboa, I could have been a contender. But uh, <laughs> that, that kind of breached that that relationship. Um, but then they <laughs> went on to higher education, you will not believe it. He became a behavioral psychologist. He Rock, why don't you pull a habit out of my rat? <laughs> 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 like the obscure ones, you'll never get that. Forget it. Okay. Well,
1: for, for, for uh, the audience that's uh, too young to remember Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can get it on YouTube. It's a, a very yeah, strange. There's
0: no such thing because people can always find always find these creatures. Always
1: find them. And I, I have to say that it really improved my life, and I think that it can make everybody lighten up a little bit too, but it was actually uh, Boris Badenoff, who uh, was a nice joke on Boris Goodenoff that did it. He used to walk, uh, when they had a little thing between cartoons, he used to walk back and forth with a this, uh, protest sign saying, unfair to local 13. Then he flipped it over and said villains thieves and scoundrels union
0: <laughs> <This> is,
1: <laughs> this is being and I, I I lived in New York for about 20 years and and the only way to deal with it especially it was in the 80s uh, and 90s when when it was kind of a mess and so the only way to deal with it is I I assigned five percent of my annual budget to villains thieves and scoundrels and until until the thefts got up to five percent you know I mean there's there's legitimate theft from the government of course but then there's you know all the all the entrepreneurs that are working on that, <laughs> and it really works you know it's just like you said it really works instead of being mad you know for, the, for until you've lost five percent of your annual uh, you know income to villains, thieves, and scoundrels, just say, okay, that's just part of the budget <laughs>
0: yeah you know, that is really that is really one of the secrets because if you're able this is called a joke jitsu it's a way of turning. <laughs> situations around by making a joke. Abraham Lincoln was really good at this. He was in a debate. His opponent called him two-faced. He said, look, if I had two faces, would I be using this one? <laughs> and that is how you can turn things around and uh, and lighten people up in your space.
1: <laughs> well, let's see. I think there's another question here that came in, yeah. That, uh, another serious question from Jay McCure. Um, <laughs> Does this conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter this week portend change? I've heard lots of the internet is sort of blazing away that that life will never be the same again. We we've heard that before. Uh, but what do you think about this this uh conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter?
0: Well, I, I think there's nothing we can do about it. Those planets yeah. are do what they do. <laughs> and we just have to sit back. Uh and and I think that, I, I think, of course, all of this, uh, I, I think, uh, as, as I would say, astrology, did God plan it that way? <laughs> it is one of those, un, it's one of those metaphysical questions, uh, like a Zen cone, an unanswerable question, like, what is the sound of one hand clapping? That was it. Okay, so now. <laughs> <laughs> No I, I, and by the way this is this is real this is very very important because we are recognizing that we are um as wonderful and great as each of us is as an individual, one of a kind, yes, but we are part of a huge, huge universe, and um this should give us some humility now, interestingly, the word humility has the same root as human humor, naturally humiliation, and also yeah. Humus, humus, soil. So sometimes when you have your face rubbed in the humus, it's humiliating. But if you experience humility, then you elevate everybody else around you. <laughs> I take great pride in my humility, by the way.
1: <laughs> All right, we have one of the listeners came in on the the duck came down on the Groucho, you bet your life show. That was the, that was what we were going, going for. Course, yeah. So, uh, if you say the secret so, word, <laughs> that's the secret word, yes.
0: The kind of something I'm going to see every day. <laughs>
1: oh, uh, speaking of which, have you ever joined a club that wouldn't have you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so I, I, not only have I joined that club, but I actually hit the other people over the head with it. So, that was <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: Uh, another question just came in How do I? Release the grip of my of the ego on myself, I mean my my personal ego, the grip that I have, I should get rid of it, right, so uh, how do
0: you oh you release it yes, 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 well, there is a very simple three word mantra to release the, uh-huh. the ego ego can you, you going to
1: do this without charging anything
0: uh can I do it without charging um yes this is this is a this is free of charge, the swami doesn't charge for anything um uh, I I I will actually uh, I take no credit for this. But I do take, care. <laughs> but I take no credit. <laughs> By the way, okay. So it, it, it goes like this. Uh, it, it's like go ego go go ego go 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 ego go ego egoing begun. <laughs> or just use the mental floss I talked about. Yeah. That that, that releases the grip of the ego.
1: Best best match I've ever heard.
0: <laughs> so um,
1: now that you've covered so many topics um, and, and we're coming near the end, um, maybe you could just explain a very small little thing like what is reality?
0: <laughs> uh, you know, this is the simplest thing I, I can ever explain. I mean, this is so ridiculously simple that you won't believe it. Reality is reality TV without the TV.
1: That covers it.
0: <laughs> that covers the whole thing. <laughs> Next question.
1: Um, so, if that's true, it's highly unlikely that there'll ever be peace on Earth. Then, I would say, if, if if reality is just reality TV without the TV.
0: <laughs> well, well, the thing is that that we are an evolving species. Let's let's consider that um, the universal love story began billions of years ago when the first light from the sun interacted with the, uh, with the matter on Earth. We had photosynthesis. That was the first act in this universal love story. Father, son, mother Earth. And they gave birth to, to life. And for billions of years, it was nothing but single cell organisms. Now, I don't know if you can remember back that far. But uh, I, don't. I tell you, it was <laughs> tough being a single cell I couldn't make a single sale in those days. It was terrible. <laughs> All of these single cell organisms are competing for the same food. And then the next level of this universal love story popped in. And the, the uh, single cell organisms got tired of being single and they decided to connect in relationship. And we had the first multi cell organism. This was act two of this love story. In act three, these are. Uh, Multicellular organisms became really complex, like you and me. We are communities of about 50 trillion cells, and it's very coherent. We this is a healthy community, all the cells get along. We have universal health care, full employment, no cell left behind, <laughs> and the cells actually cooperate with each other. The organs cooperate. You never hear about that the liver invading the pancreas, demanding the islets of Langerhans? We never hear that. That's ridiculous. And so if we were as smart as ourselves, we would recognize that the next phase of human evolution is seeing that we're all cells in the same body. And once we do that, we begin to recognize that it's not survival of the fittest, it's the thrival of the fittest. That those that fit into an environment that is uh, that is a coherent, cohesive whole environment. Thrive along with that environment. So that is the great uprising and realization of this next period of time. If we are able to do that, because right now we are at the fourth stage of this universal love story. We've we're actually organized ourselves into tribes, just like animals. They'll have packs of dogs. They'll have herds of cow. They'll have flocks of birds, schools of fish. Organized into self-similar Organisms. But we are at a, but given if you look at how the world is right now, we are at a four act play. Now, you know what the Greeks called the four act play? Tragedy. But there was a five act play called the comedy. And if we want to shift tragedy into comedy, we add the fifth act where we recognize that we're all cells in this organism and we begin to cooperate, collaborate, and Work together for the good and betterment of the entire organism, which incidentally benefits every individual.
1: Well, that's an excellent summation, uh, and it also gives uh, all the people that are staying at home permission to not dust, because we don't want to leave any cell behind. Ah, that's uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so right. everybody yeah. just leave your house dirty while you're while, while you're up there, just to make sure that everybody feels part of this. Exactly. Um, Swami, Really appreciate your coming back, um, especially, you know, being in two places at once. And we know that you're a very busy man. Um, you're, you're at home and you're at the Commonwealth Club at the same time. And we'll welcome you back again when when we actually can get you there.
0: Well, thank you. I, I am a big fan of bi-location. I love being in two places at once. And uh, if uh, people, are, people can actually check this program out afterward, right? Yeah, so absolutely. it doesn't have to be happening now. It could be happening at a future now.
1: It'll be happy in lots of places forever.
0: <laughs> okay, good. Well, I'm so glad that I, I've achieved ubiquity. And so now <laughs> I have to, I give you my greeting. Namaste and Good night. May the hearts be with you.
1: And so as another event of the Commonwealth Club and it's 118th year of enlightened discussion. Wow. Thank you very much for joining us. Hope everybody enjoyed that one. Thanks a lot, Swami.